Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. Go with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. I kind of want to piggyback a little bit off of where we started last week. We were addressing this idea of the internal struggle, the eternal struggle. Amen. And uh, we talked about the struggle. We looked at the life of Jesus. We saw that his struggle with Satan was a lot different than his struggle with himself. That he treated uh, his struggle or his challenge with the devil, even though we know that the devil comes to what? To steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know that he has a motive of attack. He has a motive of opposition. He has a a motive of adversity, um, but thank God that as we are in the kingdom of God, uh, as we belong to him, we are children of the most high, uh, that the enemy does not have any place in our lives, amen? Uh, the enemy does not have any authority over your life. He can't just come and force his way in. He has to come in through certain channels, some uh, through, through certain avenues into your life, but you ultimately have to give him access. You ultimately, uh, the Bible even says, make no place for the devil. Um, and so honestly, ultimately, it's up to you and I. It's up to us. Uh, uh, the, the, the reign of territory that we hand over to the devil. We even can go back to the garden and you can see with Adam and Eve, uh, that they didn't need a weapon, they didn't need a spiritual attack, they didn't need a seance, they needed, didn't need a prayer group or a prayer meeting. Uh, all they needed was what? The word of God. If they would have just simply obeyed the word of God, much of what we endure in our lives isn't a, 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 an issue of what the devil's done, but what we've done in response to what the devil's threatened or what he's brought into our lives and those kind of things. And if you missed our message on Sunday, man, we kind of went in that same direction talking about our thought life, an unruled, uncontrolled thought life. Man, that's just the playground for the enemy. That's where he goes. And, uh, you know, all he can do is bring thoughts. All he can do is bring accusations. All he can do is try to bring guilt, shame, condemnation, uh, try to tempt you or, or uh, draw you into sin. But man, if we can turn off the thought, man, I tell you what, if you can learn to dominate your thought life, you'll, you'll, you won't have to address sin the way you think you have to address sin. Sin's not really your problem. The devil's not really our problem. But this is the thing is, is knowing our enemies half the battle, right? In fact, knowing the enemy I face determines the battle I fight. Knowing the enemy I face determines the battle that I fight. So some of us are fighting on the wrong levels or we're, we're fighting against the wrong enemies or, we're, or you know, our modes of attack or our modes of response are, are uh, incorrect um, because we haven't properly calculated our enemy. And you'll find that your obedience to God will put you in a position to override the enemy's plan every single time. The Bible actually tells us this to resist the devil. But what does it say before resist the devil? Submit to God. It's not, okay, God, I'm gonna submit to you. And okay, once I get that right, then I'm gonna come over here and I'm gonna resist the devil. Resisting the devil and submitting to God is the same position. If I'm in submission to God, I'm resisting the devil. Boy, I wish Adam and Eve wished they had that verse, right? They're like, why did you tell us this ahead of time? If I would have just obeyed the word, do not eat the fruit on the tree, we'd all still be here today, amen? And so we've gotta, we have to properly analyze uh, the enemy that we're fighting so that we can properly fight on the right level. And so Jesus's temptation uh, in the wilderness, in the desert, by Satan was, was actually pretty, uh, you know, pretty normal. Uh, you know, nothing crazy about it. Uh, no, man shall live by every word of God. Man will not live by bread alone. So that's gone. Uh, no, I'm not gonna bow down and worship you. No, I'm not gonna ask you to give me all these princes, uh, you know, these rulers, these, these, these territories and these kingdoms. I, I'm not gonna hand that over to you. And then eventually he says, what? Get away from me. And the devil had to flee. 
right? The devil had to go. Exercise complete authority. But then on the flip side, Jesus uh, shows up in the garden. So we got a wilderness and a garden. In the wilderness, no problem. Garden, a little more stressful. In fact, the Bible actually uses the word that Jesus' soul was greatly distressed. Because now he's not fighting the devil. There's a war within. There's an internal struggle that's shown up. And how many of you know the internal struggle is always greater than the external struggle? If you can take care of it on the inside, you can whip it on the outside. You can take care of it on the inside. It's no, it, it, it's, it's, it's no competition for you. You know, I've heard this before of even professional athletes um, that uh, they don't really ever pin themselves against their enemy. Sure, they're, 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 they're taking in calculations of the other team and they're watching film, but ultimately the greatest one that they have to overcome is themselves. And, and we've seen it before uh, where people will, a, a more talented individual will get beat by a less talented individual because the more talented individual lost the battle in their mind. You know, especially like on a football field, when they're, when they're lining up across from each other, they're talking trash. You can't hear all that, thank goodness. But they're talking to each other, especially the little ones. That's what I used to have to do. I'm small, so I bring in equalizers. That's what I called them. I once stabbed a guy in an arm with a ballpoint pen. Dead on, sure did. Equalizer. There's three of them on me. What am I supposed to do? I had a pen in my hand. Boom. You're not putting my head in a toilet. And guess what? They never tried again. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But one of my equalizers was talking trash. I could talk smack. I could, especially on a, on a, on a ball field or uh, in a sporting event or, or whatever, if I can get inside your head, I got you beat already. And the game hadn't even started yet. That's what the enemy tries to do. That's what the enemy tries to do. The worst thing for a believer is when we start agreeing with him or even worse, repeating him. Buying into his lies, buying into his accusations. Can't work. But now we've got to, win the war against ourselves. So Jesus said what? Not my will, not my plan, not my agenda, not my want, but your will be done. That's the answer for winning that battle is saying, Father, what do you want? Because that contention, that, 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 that confrontation, that challenging between what I want and what he wants is so different. It's so lopsided. You know, a lot of times, uh, you know, we struggle with this. It's not what I thought it was going to be. It's not how I thought it was going to go. It's not where I thought he was going to take me. It's not what I thought it would look like. Anybody ever been there? And so now, what is that? That's what I thought versus what he said. That's, that's what I thought was going to happen versus what he said was going to happen. So we start analyzing that and we have that challenge. And so Jesus said, look, this might not be going how I thought, might not be going how I want, might not be going according to my plan. If I was gonna do it my way, this is what it would look like. But at the end, the only way we're gonna be productive, the only way we're gonna make impact is if I do your will, if I do your plan. And so that's how we have to address that battle. But I wanna continue this a little bit in um, Romans chapter seven. It's kind of an interesting passage, Romans chapter 7. And I want to jump down. There, there's, there's so much in Romans chapter 5, 6, and 7, and, and, and 8. Great chapters there. But in Romans chapter 7, I want to start with verse 13. And just listen to, to Paul's uh, 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 writings here, uh, the, his wording, and, 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 and how he's describing this struggle. Romans chapter 7, verse 13. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, 
that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, I've got to distinguish this now, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. We talked about that last week. If you're waiting for your flesh to finally, the light bulb to go on and your natural desires or natural tendencies or, or natural passions begin to align with God, you're gonna be here a long time. You've got a, you got a lot of learning to, to, to find out because your, your flesh will never align with the will of God. Your flesh wants nothing to do with the plan of God. It doesn't want anything to do with it. It's already been contaminated. So he says, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Some of y'all are like, yeah, that was me today. That, was, that happened to me on Monday. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my what? Mind. So there's the law of the spirit of God in me that my spirit man is saying, yes, that's it. That's what you want. Let's, ab let's abide by that. Let's live in that. Let's, let's make that happen. And then there's this mind, will, and emotions. It's called your soul. That this is where the war is happening. This is where the battle's taking place. And your flesh is on the other side saying, we don't want none of that. We don't care what God wants. We don't care what God says. We don't care what God thinks. This is what we think is going to happen. And look, this isn't always just about a sin thing. Sometimes it's we get a, a, a vision or a, a word from God, and then we start thinking of how we can accomplish it, like Abraham. Abraham had a word from God. You will be a father of many nations. And over time, he's not turning into a father. And time is of the essence. Time is not on your side. Time is the enemy. And the more time that goes by, the harder God's word is for it to come to pass. I believed you when I was 75. Now I'm 85. God, what's going on? This is getting a little difficult. So Abraham does what? He tries to help God out. Oh, wait, I, I know. I got a mistress over here. I got, I got this, this, this helper over here. Don't you get any ideas? This was a long time ago. And that wasn't the word of God because God had a plan through Sarah that she would be the mother of many nations. But then, you know, we start battling with this and we start saying, well, maybe God needs my help. Maybe God wants me to do this. Maybe God wants me to do that. And so this war is, is, is showing up. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity. We talked about that on Sunday. Captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. This is the difference. The spirit of God doesn't take you captive. He frees you. The spirit of God doesn't make you do anything. The spirit of God doesn't take you captive or bind you up. The spirit, the spirit of God releases you but the enemy, Satan, and his plan and the law restricts you, binds you, uh, uh, and, and, and holds you captive in it. That's the difference. He goes on to say, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I was reading a little commentary that I had in one of my Bibles about that, and it said that it was literally the imagery of you being chained to a dead corpse. That was literally the imagery that Paul was trying to present. Who will release me from this body of death? From, I'm just dragging around this dead flesh, and I've got to do everything it tells me to do. I never, how do I get free from this? 
because you have a, a flesh or a carnal nature, a sinful nature that doesn't just go away when you came down to the altar. The devil didn't say, oh, well, lost that one. Let's move on to the next one. He says, no, no, no. If I can hide from them who they really are, if I can keep them from discovering what they really have, if I can manipulate, twist, or pervert what they just heard, this actually happened uh, just this past weekend, uh, you know, ministering that message uh, on, on, on our minds and taking our thoughts captive so our thoughts don't take us captive. And out in the foyer, uh, uh, an individual came to me and said, man, this was just incredible word. I, I've needed this for so long. And, uh, and, and then he starts telling me, you know, I'm, I'm 40-something, I don't remember, 46, 47 years old, and I, I just can't believe that I've, this would have really helped me in my 20s. This would have been, this is exactly what I needed. And then all this time has gone by, and he's just feeling bad, I mean, feeling guilty for hearing the word of God. And I said, right there. You're doing exactly what I just preached. If the devil can't keep you from hearing the word, he'll keep you from enjoying it and applying it. I said right there, he's putting a thought in your mind to twist what you just, you ought to be walking out of here with your hands raised, thanking God and rejoicing that you heard the word you heard today and now you're gonna knock his teeth in. But instead he's got you feeling guilty and ashamed for not hearing it sooner. That's just like the devil to twist and pervert and manipulate something that can create such an impact in your life. And rather than rejoicing about it, he's feeling guilty that he heard it. I said, right there. And he just hung his head and he said, I'm good now. <laughs> this is what I'm talking You have to take the thought captive or it will take you captive. The Bible says, James says, that we're deceiving ourselves if we think hearing the word but not applying it will produce results. Do not be deceived, it says. Deceiving yourselves. That if we don't become doers of the word and not just hearers only, deception begins to set in. And so we've got to take the word and then put it to action and reckon every little thought. And I know it can seem, you know, like a lot, but i tell you right now, muscle memory will begin to kick in and your spirit will begin to override your flesh and you'll find yourself taking thoughts captive without even having to think about it. It'll become natural to you that I will not allow thoughts of the enemy or thoughts that are contrary, as 2 Corinthians 10 says, that exalt themselves against the word of God. I will not let them reign. I will not let them have a voice. I will shut it down and I will discover what God says about that. That's what you have to do. And so he says, who will release me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So again, it becomes, who do you feed? Now, all he's doing in this verse is acknowledging He's acknowledging this constant war or this constant struggle. Man, the, the thing that I want to do, my spirit, I don't do. But the thing that I don't want to do, I end up doing. That is what it looks like in the natural. The, the, God never tells us to try harder. That's what I love about it. He never says, now just do better. Just try harder. Try to overcome sin. Come on, you're, you're, you're failing. You're, you're not getting it yet. You just got to keep trying. No, he says, what? They, I thank God through Jesus Christ. So, you know, this, this kind of takes me back to a message I preached a few weeks ago with the man at the pool of Bethesda. What are the systems that we're relying on to get our freedom? Because we all have a pool. That we say, if I can just get in there, I'll be made whole. We all have some pool in our life. We all have some body of, uh, some system that we're relying on. And I'm telling you right now, natural systems will fail you every time. I see people that say, I'm going to get it next time. 
well, if I could just do this, or if I could just hear this, or if I could just go to this, or if I could just have this. And they're relying on natural broken systems. God never says rely on a natural thing. He always takes you back to the spirit. He always takes you back to him. He always says that it's, it is uh, through his resources that you will find yourself overcoming. So what happens is, is we end up in these cycles of brokenness because we say, I'm not going to talk like that anymore. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to talk to people like that. I'm not going to treat them like that. I'm not, I hate it when this happens. I hate it when that happens. And then we, we, the the very thing we don't want to do, we end up doing. And the thing that we do, we can't seem to get it in line. There's this battle, this struggle. But he says, no, I thank God. Through Jesus Christ. Now look at Romans chapter 8, because this continues right on. Romans chapter 8. Now that he's lined out this battle. And if we stopped right there, a lot of us would be in a lot of trouble because we'd be thinking, well, man, Paul's just as jacked up as I am. Why am I reading his stuff? He's, he's, got, he's got the same struggles I have. He's got the same problems I have. Here's the thing. The struggle doesn't cease. You just get stronger. I'm not going to give you five tips, five steps to avoiding the struggles in your life. Because Jesus didn't. Paul didn't. Peter didn't. The word of God doesn't give us tips to avoid the struggles. But he will give you the word on how to overcome the struggles. Okay, and so Paul's now going to take us into the overcoming side. He's not going to take you into the avoiding side, but he will get you into this is how you overcome. This is how you whip. This is how you defeat. This is how you, uh, are be- you become a champion. You become more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. So Romans chapter 8 verse 1, the first thing he starts off with, I love this. Coming out of the battle, the struggle. I don't want to do it, but I do it. And I want to do it, but I don't do it. And there's just this war going on. The first thing he says is, there is therefore. Now, no condemnation. That's where you have to start. He doesn't start with the external sin. He doesn't start with the practice, the habits, the addictions, the lifestyles, the talk, the language the attitudes, the responses, the behavior. He doesn't start with the external stuff. He starts right here with the condemnation from the stuff. His first answer is before I can address any of your actions, and he does, he does. He'll tell you to put off lying, put off cheating, don't do this, don't do that. But the first thing he addresses is there is therefore now no condemnation to those there's a qualifier who are in Christ Jesus if I'm in Christ Jesus I can expect to walk free from condemnation because here's where the devil's really whipping a lot of believers he doesn't he, he, he he's he they know that it's a sinful behavior and a sinful lifestyle those that don't that's another conversation and 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 in today's day and age, we see sin in the lines being blurred left and right. It's ridiculous. But the first place he starts is, I got to go to your mind. There's no condemnation. If you failed, if you sin, if you're having this war, having this battle, having this struggle, I'm here to tell you right now, there's no condemnation. Condemnation is simply believing something about yourself that is not true. That's condemnation. And, and, and many believers are being condemned from sins that God has already overcome and redeemed them from. So it's not the sin that they're battling. Now it's the weight, the shame, the guilt, the condemnation. They're feeling condemned over something that Jesus already paid the price for. The blood was shed. His life was hung on a cross for that very sin. Sin shouldn't rule and reign in our lives and and sin should be put away. But even worse than that is the weight and the guilt and the shame from sins that have already been taken care of. 
And condemnation from the enemy, man, that's one of his greatest ploys. That's one of his greatest tactics. Because even when you are free, you won't live free. The jail cell will be swung wide open and you'll sit inside bound captive. You will not walk out the door. So the first thing he addresses is, look, I could give give you all the answers for putting this down and putting this down and don't do this and don't do that. But the first thing you understand is if you can't overcome it in your mind, you'll never overcome it in your life. There is, therefore, now no condemnation. That's pretty black and white. That's the way I like it. I like black and white. I like, you know, just, just make it clear. Put the, draw the line. I, I don't need any blurredness. I don't need, you know, any silliness. I don't need, ah, you know, it could be this. Or, there is, therefore, now no, zero, zilch, not a condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So right there, we're right back there. Flesh, spirit. So now he begins to analyze this. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful. So Jesus showed up in the likeness, meaning with the same, I heard someone uh, say this. I think it was actually Pastor Earl. I was listening to a message he was ministering. So my pastor, I believe, said this, that uh, Jesus lived a life free from sin but he did not live a life free from the opportunity to sin. There's a difference. He didn't just walk around this earth and was never, never had a temptation or never have an opportunity to fall into sin like you and I. He was tempted just like us on all accounts, yet didn't sin. And so Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, but yet showed us, proved to us that our spirits could overcome, that we could win the war. That's ultimately what Jesus showed us is we can win this war between your spirit and your flesh. You can put down your ideas. You can put down your will and your agendas. And you can take up his plan and say, no, Father, let your will be done. That's possible. He came in the likeness. That means came in the same environment, came in the same form, had all the same opportunities that you and I do. Now, this is what he means when he says what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. The only thing the law could do when presented, the Ten Commandments and then thereon, the the only thing the law could do is show you right from wrong. But it could not empower you to live right from wrong. There's a, great, there's a great difference, right? Before I identify that you're wrong, I've got to show you what is right. I've got to identify, I've got to split that line, right? Wrong. And so the law came in not to free man. The law did not come in to set you free and to deliver you and to give you power over sin. It just helped you identify, I'm a sinner. I have blown it. There's no hope. This is what sin looks like. And, it's, and, and, and every day I fulfill the lust of the flesh. Every day I give in to what I should not do. But he says that what the law could not do in empowering you to overcome sin, God did by sending his son In the likeness, he had to send Jesus in the same opportunities that you and I have to sin to show us you can overcome and overpower sin. Wouldn't be any good if Jesus was, uh, you know, uh, this, this being or this form that could not have the opportunity to sin. That doesn't do us any good. You've got to give me the same opportunities he had. You've got to give in the same opportunities I have and then show me that we can whip this thing. So God did it 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. There it is again. It's now the second time we've seen him identify, do not walk, that word walk can be translated live. So he's saying, do not live according to your flesh. Live according to the spirit. The spirit is a, a being, that's who you are on the inside, that says this is the will of God, this is the desire of God, this is what we ought to do. Your spirit is dead until you are what? Born again. It's dead. So when you're living in the world, I've heard people say, well, there's some good uh, you know, good people out there that aren't Christians, good people. No, 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 they're doing that in their own natural ability, but that doesn't make them right with God. Because the qualification for being right with God isn't do good stuff. Qualification for rightness or right alignment with God is being in his kingdom, being in his family, having a relationship with him. That's what he's looking for. He's not looking for a bunch of robots that just do the right thing. He's looking for people that can bring heaven to earth. He's looking for people that will enact the kingdom on this planet the kingdom of heaven. So we have this according to the flesh or according to the spirit. Verse five, for those who live according to the flesh, here it is, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now again, until I come into the kingdom, until I'm born again, I cannot, it's impossible for me to set my mind on things of the spirit because it's dead. It, it's, it's inoperable. I'm literally operating out of my flesh and out of my mind, will, and emotions. What I think, what I want, and how I feel. That's where I live. My, my, my sinful, uh, when I say flesh, again, I'm not talking about the flesh suit that we see. I'm talking about the fleshly, sinful nature. Nature that wants to do everything opposite of what God wants. So if I wanna live according to the spirit, I have to what? Set my mind. Where I set my mind is where I direct my life. I cannot go there in my life if I don't get there in my mind. We talk about this. My thinking, I've got to get my, my thought life under control and get my, life, my, my thought life set on the right thing before I ever see it working in my life. Those who uh, set their mind on the flesh, you're gonna produce the results of the flesh. Set your mind on the things of the spirit, produce the things of the spirit. Verse six, for to be carnally minded is death. Death meaning unfruitful or ineffective. And ultimately the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, separation from God. Death, it, it, it pays out and, and sin has a paycheck and it only pays in one way, death. Death to relationships, death to purpose, death to hope, death to relationship with God, death to impact in this world, death to the influence, death to your potential, death, death, death. It destroys, it, 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 it annihilates everything in its path. It's death, but... Uh, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And then he explains it. Yeah, that carnal mind, it's enmity against God. It's, it, 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 has, it wants nothing to do with God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. See, in our day and age, we've made such a big deal about the love of God that we haven't stopped to ask if he's pleased with us. Because there's a difference. 
I love Camden. And there's nothing that he could do or that could ever happen that would make me not love him. But am I always pleased with him? No. Doesn't change my love for him. Doesn't change my acceptance of him. Doesn't change uh, uh, how I view him and what I know he's capable of. But my pleasure in him is distorted. So I don't want to just be loved by God. I want him to be pleased with my life. I want him to look at me and take pleasure in me as his son, as a daughter, as his child, as a citizen in the kingdom. That's one I take pleasure in. Isn't that what God said about Jesus? This is my beloved son. I love him in whom I am well pleased. And he said that before Jesus ever did anything. He'd already determined, I take pleasure. But Jesus could have decided to go down a different path. I don't need to convince God that I'm worthy uh, of of taking pleasure in or worthy of being, I'm gonna walk out what he already sees in me. I'm gonna choose to live out how he's already built me. Amen. So I, I, I want to be someone that, not, that God doesn't just love. You've heard us say this before. You don't have to do anything for God to love you. That's really the lowest form of acceptance. Because the Bible says, for God so loved the world. Now, the love of God is powerful. The love of God is amazing. We can't even wrap our heads around it. We will never know the height or the depth nor the length or the width of the love of God. It surpasses all understanding. But he loves you because you're here. If you breathe, he loves you. So I can't do anything to earn his love. I can't do anything to take away his love. I want to live above that. God, I know you love me. And because of that, I want to live to please you. I want to live so that you look down and you take pleasure in me. And he very clearly states, those who are in the flesh, that means they have subjected their actions, their behaviors, their life to fleshly desires versus what God desires. He cannot take pleasure in that. Cannot take place because he knows what he's put in you. He knows the price that his son paid on that cross. He knows what he has given you the ability to rule and reign over and to take charge over in your life. You don't have to be subjected. I've seen people, man, that's one thing I love about pastoring is you see people come out of darkness into light. You see people come out of just absolutely uh, 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 horrible situations and see them fulfill the plan of God. You see what God can do. In, I mean, you're talking the worst of the worst people, what God can do in someone's life. And, and, and on an everyday basis, we have to all recognize we were once in darkness, now I'm in light. It only took the smallest Sin, stealing the cookie out of the cookie jar when you were two years old. It only took the smallest act of disobedience against the word of the king to put us in hell for eternity. But his price, he, he has too much to gain and too much to lose on not helping you understand your potential and your purpose and how to effectively overcome the spirit. Notice, not in the flesh. You're in the spirit. Notice this now. He's talking to believers. He's talking to you and I. You're not in the flesh. If you're in the flesh, if you subject yourself to the flesh, you cannot please God. But you're not in the flesh. You are in the spirit now. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, righteousness is an immediate action. Can we teach a little bit? Righteousness is an immediate action. You cannot be more righteous today 
than you were the day you gave your life to Christ. Immediately, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. In that moment, he's made you new. Old things are gone. The new has become. Uh, old things passed away. New things are, uh, uh, all things are made new. And, and that is instantaneous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But now holiness. Holiness is living out my righteousness. Holiness is what I have to now work to align with the righteousness that's in me. My position is with Christ. He sees me, he sees Jesus. But now I've got to produce that fruit. I've got to produce that life, a holy life unto him. That's where I allow the Holy Spirit, I yield to the Holy Spirit my thoughts, my actions, my lifestyle. My attitudes. And so basically what happens is, is you come into the kingdom and then the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to introduce your old you to the new you and help you understand everything you're now capable of, all the potential you have, all the power you have in him, in the kingdom, what rightfully belongs to you. But to acquire that, he starts to disrupt and dismantle all the old stuff. So this is where that struggle comes in. Well, how much of that do I want to hold on? I mean, I see all the stuff over here that God has for me, all the potential, all the power, all the influence, all the impact. But I mean, I have to give up my habits. It means I have to change how I talk to people. It means I have to learn how to re reproduce the love of God it means I have to walk in love and joy and peace. And pay. Well, I'm not a peaceful person. Well, that's because you haven't taken on, put on Christ. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm not very patient. You haven't put on Christ. Your spirit is a patient person. Your spirit is a peaceful person. Your spirit is a joyful person. Your spirit is a loving person. Your spirit operates in self-control. But are you yielding to it or are you holding on to? See, there, there's no personality that God writes off and says, oh, you know, they got eight out of nine, they're good. But we all have this, I'm not that. No, you're not. But your spirit has been made alive in him. And now the only reason you're not a peaceful person is because you're not yielding to the spirit of God inside you. Yeah. He will absolutely disrupt your personalities. He sure will. Those are harder. That's harder than the addiction. Some people have no problem putting down alcohol, but putting down hate? Putting down anxiety? <laughs> I mean, I could kick alcohol, no problem, but anxiousness? But your spirit, man, the new man on the inside, yeah, he wants to deal with all of it. He wants to come in and disrupt and dismantle all of it. The stuff that you want to hand over to him and the stuff that you want to hold on to. Because you know, we all have a list of God, take this, change this, do this. And then he comes in and he says, I got all that. Here's what I really want to work on. You don't have much tact when you talk to people. Whoa, who you talk, you talk, who, who are you talking to? You're not a patient person. No, no, no. Alcohol, pornography. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, okay, I got all that. Here's what I really want to deal with. Yeah, who wants to get all of it, man? So we need to yield all of it. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him, here it is, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Through, here it is, through, anytime you see that word through, that helps you understand, I'm not relying on me, I'm relying on him. Through is your source. 
Through is your channel. Through is your avenue. And so if we don't follow it through where he's telling us to get the power from, then guess what? We're going to try to bring life to our mortal bodies. We're going to wake up and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to have that. And you lose every time. Because you didn't read the rest of the verse. Through. Through. His spirit who dwells in you. And just to, you know, throw that myth out there. Jesus doesn't come and live in your heart. But the spirit, Holy Spirit, comes and dwells in your life. But Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, and that's where I want him to be. I don't want him to be in my heart. I want him to be at the right hand of the Father, executing the will of the Father from heaven himself. Right there with the king. It says that he's praying for the saints, making intercession for you. That's much better than Jesus living in my heart. I understand the phrase, and I'm not getting on, I'm not getting all religious. I'm not. Yes, if you're... Six-year-old son says, Jesus came and lived in my heart. You don't have to correct him. No, he didn't. Jesus didn't live in your heart. You need to get saved for real. That's not what I'm saying. I understand the intent. But technically, the Holy Spirit comes, and now he's dwelling in you. And now I've got to yield my life to him. i got to yield my life to him. Romans chapter 13, verse 14. Romans 13, let me start with verse 11. Let's back up to verse 11. Here it is. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. And if it was high time 2,000 years ago, it's higher time today. We got to awake out of our sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us, everyone say, let us. Everyone say, let me. Let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. I've got to put it on. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, that was, can't, can't go around that one. Is that one of those fans that helps you sleep at night? <laughs> yep, because I have one on my phone. I was like, I'm about to fall asleep right now. That's, that's pretty calming, pretty peaceful. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in, I said awake out of our sleep. You're trying to put us back to sleep. Okay. Uh, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in lust, not in strife and envy. But here it is, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Make no Provision. That means don't let your flesh have the opportunity. Don't give your flesh the floor. Don't make provision. Sometimes we're losing the struggle. We are being weakened because we are making provision. We're actually providing opportunity. We're saying, here you go, flesh. What can I get you? Can I get you something to eat? Can I get you a nice place to lay down? Can I put on your favorite show? We're, we're making provision, making the flesh comfortable. I'll tell you right now, I want my flesh to be uncomfortable. I don't want my flesh settling in. I don't want my flesh being provided for. I don't want my flesh uh, uh, saying, man, I've got everything at my disposal. I want my flesh saying, where am I going to get another opportunity to do that? Where am I going? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? Say, you're not. Crucifying the flesh. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts, to carry out, to make uh, uh, fruitful its lusts. So it's simply this. What am I putting on? 
What am I putting on? Am I putting on the Spirit? Am I being renewed in the Spirit of my mind? Am I recognizing that the Holy Spirit's come? He dwells in me? And now I've got to yield my life to that? Or am I making provision? Making room for? Going back to that struggle in Romans chapter 7. I don't do what I want to do. What I want to do, I don't do. The struggle, the struggle, the internal, eternal struggle. Who wins? Who's being provided for? Who's being taken care of? Who, 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 are, who, who is having an environment conducive for their development? Whichever one I feed gets stronger. Is it my flesh? Is it my spirit? Am I yielding my, my, my actions, my time, my efforts to what my flesh, carnal, what's against God? Just because I came into the kingdom doesn't mean my flesh goes away and is never heard from again. I have to put it down. Paul even said this, I die daily. How often? Every day. I wake up and I say, I will not yield my life to that. I will not yield my, my thoughts to that. I will not yield my, my body to that. I will not yield my actions, my words, but I'm going to yield them to the Spirit, subject them to the Spirit. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.